0: Now, everybody improvise what we just said before we turn this
1: off. Oh, gosh. Um. The part about dead naming our family members or the secret Gospels of the Bible? Which part?
2: We're on the speed run to get canceled here. Is that Some what's more, happening? we me badgering
1: my sister about having children.
2: Welcome to Riffin' on the Rift. An infrequent and often unscheduled companion podcast to What's in the Rift. Welcome back to Riffin' on the Rift. I am your host, Josh Burgess. Tonight's episode features Patty Hamilton, who plays Jenny Thomas. From the cast of What's in the Rift, we have Yolandi Hamilton, Ryan Daylor, Grayson Stam, and Joseph Rutledge. So let's kick things off. Patty, why don't you tell me a little bit about the world from which Jenny hails?
3: So Jenny is from a world or a universe that is very similar to our own, except for the fact that Dr. Seuss is really the the reigning franchise company, if you will, that has taken the place of what Disney is in our world.
2: So instead of... Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and all that, we have the Lorax and Horton and uh, characters like that in their place. Is, is that my understanding?
3: Yes, absolutely. So things like, um, like Disney World, Disney on Ice, the Marvel franchise, how Disney's taken over Star Wars, like all of that never happened. Uh, most of them continued on the way they would have or have sort of a Dr. Seuss twist to them like Suzical on ice.
2: (laughs) Does Disney exist at all?
3: It does, but only very minorly. So you had kind of the original like Mickey Mouse Steamboat cartoons, a story here and there, but nothing near the powerhouse that they are now.
2: So Disney really got its start as kind of being like the premier animated feature draw at a time where animation was... Not a nascent industry, but one that was just coming into its own. I believe it was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs that was the first feature-length Disney movie. And it kind of kicked off an American tradition, almost, of children's movies animated as a yearly feature that Mm -hmm. would, would come out. And Disney has been producing those since the 40s, really. Right. What is different there? Did Snow White just never come out? Was it instead? Because that... uh, Help me on my timelines here, but I don't know exactly when Timothy Geisel wrote the first Dr. Seuss book.
3: The first one? I don't know when the first one was. Hold on. First Dr. Seuss. 1937. 37, which is the same year as Snow Ah. White. That works out very well. I did not plan that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, basically what happened in Jenny's world is both of these came out. They both started as books both went to kind of that filmography and snow. White just didn't really stick. People thought it was weird that there was this weird poison apple and all these short people in the woods, no offense Blanche and she's talking (laughs) to animals and it just didn't really stick the way that it did in our world. So Disney kind of had like a little bit and then they didn't really pick up from there. So
2: did it get produced then? Like there was still a Disney, there
3: was a snow white. Yeah.
2: But to think it happened on Mulberry Street took off instead.
3: Exactly. And from there, the whole Seuss empire, as it is in Jenny's world, is really what came to be from that.
2: So I I think one of the interesting things about Dr. Seuss is the surreptitious messaging in his stories. We talked about this a little bit before the episode started, that a lot of his stories are analogous to Mm -hmm. real life events and carry some kind of like moral messaging to them. Is that different with like a huge amount of success beyond what Dr. Seuss saw in his lifetime? Did that message get corrupted at all by the level of success that was in our reality only afforded to Disney?
3: It did in a way, again, similar to how Disney has that same sometimes sketchy messaging, especially in the older movies. You do have kind of those underlying tones that maybe aren't so savory by today's standards as opposed to back in the 40s. And it was the same with Dr. Seuss, right? But as time has gone on, people have sort of grabbed on to different bits and pieces to kind of, I don't want to say create the narrative they want, but to create the narrative that they want. Kind of like Disney, right? Because we see, oh, we want the knight in shining armor and my prince is going to come save me. And really that underlying message is that, you know, women are weak and have to be saved. but. It's very similar in that regard because, yes, Dr. Seuss had some questionable undertones, but society morphed it to teach the life lessons that they value in today's day and age.
2: So a while back, I had come across a rather interesting article that laid out a pretty compelling argument that Disney is directly responsible for the glut of magical thinking that plagues America. Does that look different in a world without Disney? Does that type of magical thinking persist, or is there like a different psychic deficiency that that grazes the population?
3: No. So that whole sort of fairy tale idea, because I know what you're saying. You know, as a little girl, you plan your wedding, and you're going to go to college and meet your meet your dream boyfriend, and you'll date for three years, and then get married, and have you right. know da, da 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 da. You have it all planned out exactly, and you kind of get these formulaic ideas from all of these repetitive stories where the princess finds her prince charming so easy. Easily just by being attacked by some witch with an apple or something like that. In the Seuss universe, it's much more of a whimsical thing.
2: All right. Bear with me for a bit of a, a follow-up to that then. Um, a lot of what I'm trying to do with what's in the Rift is tell a story about storytelling and storytelling's importance in the world. Um, there's a concept of of historical truth versus narrative truth. And how narrative truth tends to win out because narrative truth fits the patterns of storytelling that we are familiar with. So it may not be the most accurate retelling of things, but if it tells a good story, then people are more willing to accept that. So... In our heads, and this is very true, especially in people that study how people remember things, people will tend to remember things in a way that makes sense narratively rather than then may make sense historically. Meaning that our brains favor something that follows a narrative logic versus something that is factually accurate. And that we are more apt to believe something that fits how we understand narrative. And this has been shown to be true across different cultures, too. So that cultures that have different narrative traditions tend to believe things differently about the world.
3: Right. Like confirmation bias you're talking?
2: O- almost. It's very similar. It, it, it follows kind of the same principles, but it's really more about how you understand things having actually happened. This is true for for societies all across the world. Like, the way that we tell stories about World War II is very much in the same kind of, like, epic struggle that Lord of the Rings or other Western classics or epics are told.
3: That idea of the, the victor tells the story.
2: Sim, yes. It, it not just tells the story, but we tend to frame history in the same way that we right. frame our fiction stories. And so if we have an entirely different basis for... What narrative is in your world? How does that affect how people interact with history?
3: Many of the Dr. Seuss books don't really have like a clear bad guy, right? Like some of them do. Some of them are kind of gray area, but a lot of them are just, you know, shenanigans, when people are telling stories about World War II is a good example, and you always hear the the soldier was writing to his love back in the states, and they had all these love letters, and then they met after all these years and went on to have babies, and et cetera, there's not really any of that. Like, sure, it happened. but it those kinds of things don't really make the headlines because there's such less emphasis on, relationships and having the perfect relationship and and that kind of ties into the stigma around abuse in relationships right because sometimes people will stick around because they want people to think they have the perfect relationship that's not really a thing in jenny's world to your point the way people tell stories is much more factual without all the the fluff and trying to gussy it up there is a bit more emphasis on trying to make things more lighthearted. So you might find some more, I don't want to say comedy or like meme type iterations of stories. But if you're going to get anything, it's going to be more of that nature rather than this fanciful, romanticized version.
0: Does that mean there's a lot more like Dadaism, surrealism, and mainstream? Hell Yeah because like Dr. Seuss not having that A to B type of narrative and much more languishing in the weirdness and details. Right, yeah.
3: It's it's kind of freed up the the mindset of society to, to be whimsical and and create ridiculous stories and go off the rails and that's much more the the general undertone of Jenny's society and her universe as opposed to kind of that strict stay in the lines and do as Disney tells you.
1: So in that same vein, like the thing that I remember about Dr. Seuss stories the most as a kid is the moral of the story. Like there was always some sort of moralistic point that he was driving Mm -hmm. in, in within his stories. Does your world find that morals and critically thinking about a situation and like how the other person feels in that situation and having consideration for those feelings is more prevalent than in our world? I would say so, because
3: the the way that you kind of go about, like you said, you know, you have all this goofy stuff happening, but there is really a moral to the story and you see that reflected. So people will joke around but at the end of the day, there's a point, there's a goal. There's a reason that we're here telling this story. And so you kind of see that reflected in people in general, right? They're always going to be, even if you're kind of like falling off the track and you maybe don't follow the strict rules of society, they'll bring you back because there's at the end of the day, they have that moral anchor, if that makes
0: sense. So we know that California and Florida are like the main like bases of Disney in our world. Like, where is the hub of uh, the Seuss Corporation or like the Seuss theme parks located? Are they in the same areas or like do we have them in Idaho now or?
3: So you do have kind of those big main areas, but it's really all based out of Massachusetts, Hmm. which is where he's from.
0: That makes sense.
3: So Massachusetts has like Seuss headquarters. There's a big theme park in Boston. And it's like a whole thing. Massachusetts is, is very Seuss-oriented. And Boston is actually, you know how Orlando is kind of very mm-hmm. Disney-oriented? Boston is very Seuss-oriented.
2: Not to ruin the mood here or anything, but we're going to steer the conversation here a little bit more towards Jenny's background. While your world honestly sounds pretty pretty nice jenny has some personal tragedy in her past do you want to let our audience in on that
3: i don't know if you guys remember when i described her but she has you know long sleeves her legs are all covered and everything like that even though it is unseasonably warm in florida
0: Hmm. (laughs) yep i
3: brought it back you happy with that But this is due to a tragedy from when she was a kid, like single digits. Her dad was a scientist, and he was at home doing some experiment, and he actually started a house fire. In this house fire, Jenny's mom passed away, and she almost did. She didn't. She has burns all over her body, which is why she keeps her skin covered. And
2: we'll talk a little bit more about who your father is when we get to your character sheet, but... How did that shape Jenny's own personal development?
3: It had a really big impact. So first and foremost, she doesn't blame her dad for what happened. So they still have a very good relationship. Jenny, however, she was she's very quiet and shy to begin with. This certainly didn't help, right? And she's got scars, and especially you start getting into middle school, and kids are assholes, and so that didn't really go well. So she stayed very quiet, very reserved, even more so after the incident. She does have her one best friend, Rachel, that's pretty much it. Like, Rachel's her girl. She doesn't have any other friends. Rachel will invite her out with other people. Jenny doesn't really care to really invest in those relationships. Rachel is, is her tie to friendship. And so they've stayed friends through high school, college. They still talk very frequently. But Jenny is, I wouldn't say socially awkward. She has more of the vibe of feeling the need to prove herself to people.
1: I'm just trying to imagine a world where everybody's childhood idealistic standards were created by morally geared tales rather than romanticized fairy tales and how that would shape the way in which we all interact with each other. I imagine it to be like an episode of Sesame Street, but just like all the time <laughs> everywhere.
0: The part that's getting me about it is a lot of the Dr. Seuss stories have like a very, I guess, non-linear element to them where things don't necessarily have to make sense to move forward. So it requires some kind of critical thinking from the child. So I'd like to imagine that the world has more, one, empathy for the morals and two, more like critical thinking skills.
1: Right. More of an ability to solve their own problems Mm -hmm. without needing mediators or someone to intervene or like as children, adults to step in and figure it out. They just handle it.
0: Sounds really nice, actually.
1: It really does.
0: And not so much a push toward romantic situations and romantic relationships would do a lot of people the world of good. Ah, this is the best world we've talked about so far
1: what's wrong with my world you don't want to spend time at the church of jason i,
0: I met the guy no. and he shot me so <laughs> <laughs> he's a real dick yeah. let's dive
2: into your character sheet a little bit patty i've got jenny thomas pulled up right now let's cover your distinctions first i have witness to the weird flirted with death and rolling on the wheel of life um can you explain those to me
3: Sure. So the first one, witness to the weird, I guess I didn't really explain this part. So Jenny in college at one point was going through boxes in the attic and she found a newspaper clipping that talked about the funeral services for her mother as well as herself, implying that she had also passed. Obviously, that was a shock to her as she was sitting there reading it. And she got scared, of course. I mean, what else? How else would you react to that? At first, she just kind of blew it off. But then weird things started happening, things along the lines of a glitch in the Matrix, such as that newspaper clipping talking about her funeral services. And that's really what got her researching all of these weird phenomena that eventually led her to the rift. Flirted with death comes straight from the fire that killed her mother, right? Because she barely made it out alive. She almost perished there. So that one is pretty straightforward. And Rolling on the Wheel of Life, another product of making it through the fire, Jenny became very fascinated with the cycle of life and death, rebirth, that whole idea. That really drew her to Hinduism. And she she looks a lot into, you know, chakras and all that kind of stuff. She's just very fascinated with that whole cycle, right? So rolling on the wheel of life, A speaks to kind of like the crazy things, right? And kind of taking it as it comes, but also more to, to that idea of the cycle of life. One of
2: the notes as I'm looking through what we were covering when we first set up your character for rolling on the wheel of life is the concept of samsara and the transformative power of death. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very interesting thing, especially for Jenny, who presents herself as this kind of like shy and demure character. That's a very kind of like metal way to view the world. So
3: (laughs) it is she she does have kind of a dark side that obviously stems from the trauma and everything she went through. The shyness is more an effect of being bullied and everything and not ever really making friends and just feeling inadequate, which is why in the beginning she was kind of quiet, but as she's gotten more and more comfortable with the other characters, she's being more and more outspoken, especially, you know, we're in kind of a weird situation, right? Like you, one doesn't find themselves in a different universe every day. So you kind of have to act on it, but as she gets more and more comfortable She opens up more and more with people. And once she considers you her friend, she will do anything for you.
2: Let's move on to the relationship section. You obviously have the D6 with every other cast member on the show. But uh, for your unique relationships, you have a D10 relationship with Rachel Brownstein and a D10 relationship with Stephen Thomas. Can you tell me who those people are?
3: Yeah. So Rachel is her one and only friend. They've been best friends since they were little, since before the fire. They grew up in the same town, stayed really close. They do still, like I said, they still hang out regularly. Rachel is Jenny's go-to person, right? Especially with her mom out of the picture. A lot of the how your body changes as a female, that came from Rachel and her mom and that kind of stuff, because dads get kind of awkward when that happens. Steven is her dad. He is a chemistry professor, and he's been doing a lot of research in kind of the, the health and environment world. Food security, ways to produce clean water, reduce pollution. You know, that that realm is kind of where, where he lives. Jenny is still very close with him. They had a lot of heart-to-hearts, really talked about what happened, how she's feeling. So she's very close to him.
2: Let's move on to the value section, which is something that we haven't covered in our previous Riff and on the Riffs because it was a system that we added after we started the show. I'm not going to cover everyone here, but I am going to call out some specific ones just to ask for some some understanding of your reasoning for the choices you've made.
3: So I was actually I, I'm, I was trying to remember if you said we can change them, because as we've been going, I'm thinking I might want to change mine. But if they're set, then they're set because I do have my original reasonings, but I was considering changing them.
2: They are mutable. Uh, And we had discussed this, that all your selections for values could change based on how your character changed throughout the story. I'm basing my questions right now on how these are as of October 30th here uh, of 2023. But if you feel that they need to be updated, go ahead. Feel free to update them.
3: So the highest one I have for Jenny is the D12 for loyalty. And that goes back to the, the value she has for the few friends that she does have. So like I said before, you know, once she considers you a friend, she's going to go out on whatever crazy ass limb she needs to to help you out. She is loyal to a fault. The party is very quickly becoming friends with her in her mind. Um, Obviously, that need to survive amplifies that and makes that happen a little bit faster than it normally would. But that's why I had loyalty the highest for her. And that one I would not change. The second highest one I have, the D10, is for redemption. And that is in line with what I was saying, her perception of how people view her, which may or may not be true. But she always just feels like people assume she's worthless or whatever. And she feels that need to prove herself. And that's very very much in the forefront of, of her mind. And when she's meeting people and interacting with people, that's, that's one of the main things that's always running through her head, which is why I made that uh, the second highest. And then what I was thinking about changing was actually moving pragmatism up is currently a D six, which is the fourth one down. My reasoning for that is Jenny has obviously learned to survive And has had to deal with a lot of things and a lot of that speaks to her pragmatism. And that's been coming up more and more as we're going through the story. And so as she's finding herself in this world and having to deal with all these issues, her pragmatic skills are really coming into play.
2: Yeah, and I think that that's a very good call, especially considering that Jenny fills the straight man role more often than not in our show.
3: And that actually speaks to the third one, which I have is justice. She always wants, you know, people you got to do right by her, right by other people. It's not fair to cheat people out of things for whatever reason. She holds that very highly, which is, well, I'm not going to spoil the episode. Never mind. (laughs) You'll have to listen to find out.
2: The interesting thing, I think pairing Tosca, who comes from this very ridiculous, lawless world, with Jenny, who is very much a mm-hmm. do right by everyone type it's of character. been interesting. <laughs> yeah, helped set off that dichotomy of these different worlds and how they interacted with one another as they started to blend and meld. Right. I will say this. Of all the characters, one of the most interesting things about your values section is that you have the most stark differences between your lows and your highs. You have three marked as D4s in your values, mm-hmm. and you have the most values over a DA. Which I think is min-maxing, is, baby. <laughs> yeah, very, very interesting.
3: And I did do that on purpose because the things that Jenny really values, she values heavily.
2: Just to be clear, like we are a narrative system. There's no time that I will call for, like, give me a justice role, for instance. So you can make the same type of roles coming from a place of loyalty versus a place of self-reservation. Mm-hmm. It's just how you explain the character motivation when you do right. it, right? And it's a way to keep understanding your character and how your character acts in
3: mind when
2: you're rolling for that character, right? right?
3: And that's, that's why, because again, she's very driven by her loyalty to people, which is why I made right. that so high.
2: Let's talk about your specialties. You have two major specialties and two minor, just like everyone else on the show. Your major specialties are healer and spiritualist, and your minor specialties are investigator and enforcer. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your major specialties first? Let's start with healer.
3: All right. So I picked healer as one of Jenny's major specialties because having grown up with um, with the scarring and the injuries from the fire, She got very good at first aid, learning how to help kids on the playground, that kind of thing. Again, trying to prove her worth, being helpful and everything else. Over the years, she's really kind of got this knack for for just like your basic first aid. She's not a doctor by any means like Jackie is, but she's definitely very well versed in first aid. Like if there was a car accident, she'd be able to run in and, and help out in any way, which is why I picked the healer trait because... Not only does she have these skills, but again, if someone she cares for is in trouble, she's going to do whatever she can to enact those skills and help them. The second one, Spiritualist, goes back to the the life-death cycle and, and her fascination with death and rebirth. So it's not so much religious, I suppose, the reason why I picked that one, although it definitely has ties to religion. It is more the spiritualist ideas of life and reincarnation and things of that nature. Just to
2: give our listeners uh, an understanding of spiritualist and why it would work in Jenny's situation, let me read the description for the specialty. For spiritualists, we have, This specialty is reserved for characters that possess a deep involvement with a religious or otherwise spiritual faction in their world. They understand the tenets of religion and the inner workings of religious systems They may use this connection to mysticism as a reserve of inner strength to get themselves through trying situations. And I think that last sentence is probably key most for Jenny as she very much relies on her understanding of samsar and philosophy and the wheel of life Mm -hmm. as a way to process and understand the world around her. Right. Would you consider that accurate?
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, I don't want to ruin the episode. (laughs) Um. Yeah, it's, it's definitely something that she leans very heavily on for all the aforementioned reasons.
2: Let's move on to your minor specialties. There we have investigator and enforcer. Let's start with investigator.
3: So I chose investigator because Jenny, due to the glitch in the matrix type events that have happened to her, she has dove headfirst into all of the internet nonsense that you could find or imagine on glitches in the matrix, that whole theory. She is doing it very methodical, very investigative in nature because she wants, she wants answers, right? But she wants the answers to make sense. You know, sometimes you go on Reddit or insert social media here And there's just people, you know, talking about random, ridiculous things that don't make sense. But then there's other places where people have done research and they point to data and all this stuff. And so she's very methodical in trying to investigate this concept of a glitch in the matrix, trying to figure out if it's real and what causes it and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Enforcer, I chose... Because, so going back originally to the fire, she had to fight tooth and nail. So enforcer, reserved for those who can get down and dirty close up in a fight, they can punch, kick, stab. So originally in the fire, she literally had to fight her way out of the house to survive. Going forward in life, kind of that idea of not physically fighting to survive, but sort of emotionally, mentally fighting to survive based on everything that had happened, the loss of her mother, kids at school making fun of her for her burns all of that stuff and just sort of that general idea. But then furthermore, the way she will throw some bows if you threaten her friends.
2: Yeah. And in, in my notes here on your character, I do have that. Enforcer was justified as she was mentally tougher than most people that that you would encounter, that she was able to take more on and persist through it, which makes perfect sense to me Mm -hmm. from the context of Jenny's background. Great. So let's cover the last section here, your special effects. We have your hindrance wracked with guilt. And that's like every other hindrance. You can step down one of your distinctions by two to a D4 from a D8 and gain a plot point for it. What does racked with guilt signify for Jenny?
3: For Jenny, that goes back to it's kind of a survivor's guilt. The fact that she survived the fire, but her mom didn't. She probably would have had sort of that survivor's guilt either way. But especially after finding that newspaper clipping that just exasperated it. Right that's why it's stepping down the distinction die because clearly you know when you kind of have that pang of guilt there's that doubt
2: makes perfect sense and then we have (coughs) death and rebirth death and rebirth reads once per scene you can spend three plot points to transfer a complication from one ally to any character in the scene this is an incredibly powerful special effect can you explain a little bit about what death and rebirth is for jenny
3: at the risk of repeating myself, it goes back to her fascination with that that cycle of life and death. The application of it to this, this effect is making someone not die, but you're giving them such a hindrance, right? But the other person is now surviving, right? So you've now affected that cycle where one person was in the negative for whatever reason. You've now flipped that if that makes sense. I don't feel like I articulated
2: that very well. <laughs> no, no and, and that's the thing. I think that you might be trying to lock yourself down into something that makes sense from like a mechanical standpoint. I think from a narrative standpoint, and the reason that I allowed the special effect is because it speaks more towards Jenny being able to reframe things for other people.
3: Yes, that's a much better way to say it.
2: <laughs> that's where it made sense to me from like a narrative standpoint mm-hmm. in our system. So yeah, and your last one is simply called I'll Protect You. And that reads, once per scene, spend a plot point to protect an ally, preventing a complication and or hindrance.
3: So this one is pretty straightforward. Um, again, her loyalty to protect her friends, which is presented by literally preventing some sort of issue. I feel like that one doesn't need too much explanation. It's pretty straightforward.
2: <laughs> no, yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Patty. We are absolutely overjoyed to have you on our cast and to have you here to talk about your character, Jenny Thomas. This has been Riffin' on the Rift. Join us next time for a very special episode appearing in lieu of what's in the Rift as we discuss gaming philosophy, system design, and many, many more topics with the lead designer of Cortex Prime, and banks. Thank you and bye. What's in the Rift and Riffin on the Rift are gas station drugs productions.